jokes. Tis I, the angry history chef. The the angry, the angry, the angry. I don't know what's going on anymore. It's been a long day. The angry history chef here and the good old spooky goth wife. Yes. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, this episode is going to be a little bit of a somberish episode. May not be as light-hearted and as jolly, but on Thursday it is the Armistice Day. Yeah. Uh, and I thought we should, in tribute to the men and those women and all people throughout. And dogs. And dogs. And pigeons. And horses. Yeah. And everything else. We should pay a tribute episode at least mm. to people who've given their lives yeah. for a subject that I talk a lot about and I spend a lot about reading but I guess do, do you want to talk about World War One I? I think that would be the wisest course to yeah. some degree because it is the armistice technically yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. World War One so in terms of like how it got started well if we take the Baldrick approach on? some ostrich got shot <laughs> See, I, I, see, this is the thing, right, to, to, to be the normal, non-angry history chef person. When I was growing up, I did not like World War One. I. I was not interested in it at all. To me, it was like... Your aunt and uncle would be very sad to hear no, you I know, that. No, I know, I know, but I'm just saying, like, to me, I just didn't... It didn't, like, grab me, if you know what I mean, because World War Two was the one with, like, Spitfires and Hitler and, like, horrible concentration camp. It was more dramatic in my head. And then when I got older, and, and then we, we went and we did it in secondary school and did World War One, and the World War One poetry, because we went and when I did it at A level, we went to um, Belgium and like some bits of France and stuff. We did like a World War One coach um, tour. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Sites, we yeah. did the battlefield sites. We did like the Menin Gate. We did um, Lochnagar bomb crater, all this kind of thing. Well, that, the Lochnagar bomb crater is. Got to remember that should be Vimy Ridge, if I remember and correctly. We did, so that's so like, we went to the Somme. Yeah. Um, and we went to Wilfred Owen's grave, and I got very upset and cried, but I got to lay the wreath on it. Is he the poet? Yes. I I know World War One did, but. I'm like the Wipers Times. Can we stop with the war poetry, please? It's like so. There's him, him and Sigrid, Siegfried Sassoon, who were both writing at the same time. Were both apparently, as far as I'm aware, gay. Yeah. And in um, oh god, what film is it? There's a film we watch, and we were all rooting for them to get together because in the film they take a bit of artistic license and have them both convalescing at the same time. Right. And we were like. Why shouldn't they get together as like this World War One power couple? <laughs> but that didn't happen. So obviously, no, because you know, they'd have been well, they'd have been killed because yes. it's the freaking nineteen hundreds. It's nineteen fourteen to nineteen eighteen. <laughs> Correct. Be gay, do crime, but be but do crime for being gay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, like the Wilfred Owen's poetry is um some of the most famous. Um, and like to to hear it when you stood in the places as well, was just like, oh, it was a genuinely really good school trip. Yeah. And yeah, we so we, we studied a lot of it. There's some more, there's some others as well, like Rupert Brooke, um, but he got killed really early on into the war. He was like... See, it's really bad because when we got to secondary school to did First World War, yeah, uh, Mr. Lucas, who was my history teacher at the time, he very much went, the war generated a lot of poetry, a lot of poetry from many, many different people who were fighting. He goes, the problem is, it's incredibly boring. 
because for him... <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. It's not for everybody. No, and he goes... He understood. He oh. wasn't trying to be like... Oh, my, my heart. <laughs> that gasp was real. That wasn't yeah, put on Yeah, the difference gasp. is, though, Mr Lucas bought in a Nerf Vulcan <laughs> and basically set it up on a table <laughs> and pretty much reenacted the end of the last Blackadder episode... Because he made us watch Blackadder Goes Forth. Yeah. Because it's only half an hour and we had our yeah, history yeah, lessons. Yeah, yeah. Over over the eight weeks we did World War One, we watched. We had the first introductory episode in 1914 to learn how it all started and how we got dragged in. Yeah. Then we started Blackadder as a half hour thing and then discussed the themes behind what generated the episodes yeah. to make World War One. And then when we got to the last episode of Blackadder, he basically walked in with a Nerf gun yeah. with a huge thing and basically got all of the lads so he put the girls to the other and literally got all the lads he flipped a tape he flipped the rower tables at the back and basically you're all in a trench he blew a whistle as we stood up he just raked it along so you understood <laughs> literally what kids our age mm. were doing on a muddy field in France yeah. just because some Austro-Hungarian prince got shot by a Bosnian, yeah. well, Serbian, sorry, in yeah. Bosnia. I think this is the thing. It's like with World War Two. I think it's a bit, to, to be a bit kind of gammony about it, it's easier to see who are the goodies and who are the baddies, in inverted commas. With World War One, There the was German, no good or yeah, bad guys. Yeah, while the Germans are kind of pegged up as being the bad guys, they kind of didn't... <laughs> it's not like they were invading anybody. No. They were just kind of as caught up in all the like legalities as everybody else. Because you've got to remember, basically, the Archduke is shot by a Serbian in Bosnia. Yeah. Which dragged Russia in to deal with the Austro-Hungarians. Yeah. Who then threatened Serbia, who were allied to Russia, yeah. with war because mm. a Serbian had shot the yeah. Archduke in Bosnia, and because the Austro-Hungarians had an alliance with Germany, the Germans then get dragged in to fight the Russians yeah. on the side of the Austro-Hungarian Empire against the Serbians and certain eastern countries and Russia itself. Mm. But because they do that war, they can't leave themselves undefended. And a mere 30 to 40 years earlier, they'd had a war where they'd humiliated France, which is the Franco-Prussian War. So the Germans thought while making these preparations to have to deal with Russia and the East, they might as well knock France out from being able to get at them from behind yeah. because they're going to be weakened from dealing with Russia, who had a massive army. Yeah. And you think of the ground you've got to cover. You don't really get trenches in the East. The trench warfare system yeah. is very much a Western Front thing and certain parts of Gallipoli... Gallipoli itself was very much identical to the Western Front in terms of a series of trench warfare attacks, but all up mountainsides. Mm. It was a very nasty piece of work. And then you've got the wars in the Alps between the Germans and the Italians, because people don't realise the Italians were on our side for the war. Yeah. Well, actually, the Italians were on both sides. And they were just like, wait, what? We're... And, it's... and the problem is, because of the First World War and the Treaty of Versailles, it was going to lead to World War Two, Yeah. Because Germany was pegged by France, and because technically France won, France 
basically wanted to get back at the humiliation yeah, yeah. of the Franco-Prussian War and the treaties the Germans had applied to the French. Yeah. That the French did it back to them, but a thousand times worse. It's just I can't comprehend just the fact that they split Germany in two. You know, at the end of um, World, World War One. Well, no, they didn't. That's the end of World War Two, dear. Oh, it is, yeah. Because that's the Soviet bloc and the sorry, Allies. Sorry, sorry, that's me. That's me being stupid. No, it's not you. It's, 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 but no, they, they penalised the crap out of them, didn't to they? To the point that and you allowed a rise Germany of nationalism into, yeah. and the Reich to appear. Yeah, almost like there's a parallel, isn't there? Almost like what we're seeing now yeah. in England. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, financial recession. Oh, look, we're being squeezed. I know, let's blame it on this group of people. Europe. Well, not just Europe, like poor people in boats that apparently should die. Yeah, but we won't go to war with, like, some Middle Eastern country. Oh, no, because Russia... But, like, that was the thing about the Syrian war. It was yeah. like... Like, we were like, oh, oh should, we, should we tell people off? And then Vladimir Putin was like, no. And everybody went, oh, okay, we'll look somewhere else. Now they're like, oh, why are there all these refugees everywhere? Because Syria got bombed to fuck. By and you Russians. did nothing about it. By the Russians. Well, yeah, and their own government. Yep, but that's its own but it's just, but Yeah, but it's like... So it's it's always been a bit of a weird one, if you know what I mean, compared to World War Two, because there's no technically there is no actual. I think evil. this is the thing. It's like it it automatically sets up the kind of like the kind of dreadful pointlessness of it. Do you know what I mean? This like, was the whole thing. Yeah. What makes it more terrifying, in some respects, is all the powers, not just the Germans and the Allies. Not like the Entente and the Central Powers. Mm. But all of them had seen how warfare was going to go yeah. in 1905. Because in 1904 to 1905, there was a war between Russia and Japan. Was there? Yes. Oh. There is the ni- it's commonly referred to as the 1905 Sino-Russia War. Okay. okay. And it's between Russia and Japan, and it was to do with Manchuria. Right. Okay. And this is... This is a thing. And technically the Russians lost. Right. But so did the Japanese. Yeah. And China stepped in, in its own way. Yeah. But in the 1905 war, quick firing large quantities of artillery, belt fed machine guns and infantry dying in waves against machine gun fire was visibly watched by all the world powers who sent military advisors there to see what was going off. Yeah. Because it was in the back end of nowhere. And it very much should have woken people up to the realities of what war was going to become. And that a war in Europe being fought like the old Napoleonic Wars, to some degree, and the wars in the 1860s and 1870s, was not going to happen in some respects. And what was going to happen was a war that was just going to end up with slaughter. Yeah. Now, people like Kitchener had warned the British government that the British army would not be prepared for the next continental war. There were senior officers in all armies Mm. arguing that the armies were not prepared for the wars to come in any way, shape or form. But like all governments, they ignored the military on their advice and went, we know better, we're politicians. Mm -hmm. Kitchener had warned that the British army would need to expand from its current size of about 120,000 men in 1910-1912 to 2 million men 
to deal with a continental war. Yeah. He was out. He was wrong, but he was wrong in terms of how small he said. Yeah. Five million British troops, and I'm not talking the Commonwealth here, folks. Mm. I'm talking just in Britain, five million men. And the thing was that the World War One led in a roundabout way towards the NHS getting founded because so well, many... Well, that was World War Two, nineteen forty-eight. Yeah, well, yeah, but but they brought in loads of health reforms because everybody was so British poor troopers were and awful. fucking malnourished that they were like, oh my god, we've got to work with this to win Crap. a war. Yeah. <laughs> so they were like. Oh, maybe some things need to change. Yeah, war is the mother of all necessities that gives way to invention. Things like x-ray, um, modern medicine, modern styles of doing surgery. A lot of what we look at today stems from World War One and then into World War Two. But yeah, Britain raised five million troops out of Britain itself. We raised a further three million troops out of the empire... Yeah, and I would like to point out lots of black people, lots of Asian people, lots of people of all different colours and Hindu races Sikhs, got dragged into it. West Africans. It's not just a load of white people shooting each other. Um, yeah, there, there are whole sections of the Western Front being held by Commonwealth Empire troops. Mm. The Indian divisions, for example, who yeah. were still one of the last people to get rid of their cavalry to try and use it to exploit gaps and it just never went well. Well, it's not going to against machine guns, is it? Well, and not barbed in that. wire and mud. Barbed wire, mud and machine guns are never a good combination for donkey wallopers, no. But it is one of those things that I don't think people quite realise the sheer volume of the people involved. So, mm. when I was at school, eight million people died in the First World War a million of which came from Britain. But Britain's entire war contribution in numbers is equal to the amount of people that died. Yeah. To say that this is all caused by a bit of paper, paper. Yeah. from Berwick-upon-Tweeds. <laughs> from 1458. Thanks, past. <laughs> I will grant you that the actual treaty itself wasn't from 1458. It was actually a modern ratified yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the treaty's it's... origin, as it was updated from monarchy to monarchy to monarchy, does stem from a It's like when treaty. you just keep accepting the terms and conditions, isn't it, without reading them? You're just like, ah, I'll be fine. Yeah. Like, that won't come back and bite me in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> this is the problem. 400, 500 years later, well, 450 years later, the same said treaty that was done kind of did come back to bite us in the ass. So who... So... Do you think that Britain could have stayed out of it and just gone, you know what, it's a really old treaty. Like, yes, we they don't, probably we could. Don't really but they wouldn't to... have done. Mm. I suppose because they were related to fucking everyone, weren't well, they? Well, the problem is we could have stayed out of it because we could have stayed out of it by turning around and saying, well, actually, we're married to the German monarchy and we're actually maybe going to take the side of Germany. It was like conflict of interest, because it was like... They Problem were is, we cousins. had the... Yeah, cousins, but this is... Tsar uh, Nicholas II, yeah. their cousins. Tsar Nicholas II, Kaiser Wilhelm II, and um, George... Because they all look identical. Uh, yeah, when that's because that, they're... Yeah, that photo they're all them. cousins, because they're, they're... Queen Victoria. Was their grandmother, yeah. or great-grandmother, or something like that. two million children. Yeah. Yeah. So they were all related. Tsar Nicholas II 
and I believe it's George V, maybe. Um, he basically, they used to, at royal parties, they would swap clothes to freak people out because they were that closely identical at times and people couldn't tell them apart. So they would take the piss like twins and yeah. swap clothes at parties for a laugh. And the only person who could generally tell them apart was their own cousin Wilhelm, a.k.a. the Kaiser. Yeah. World War One is the reason that we now have the Mount Battens and that the royal family are called Windsors. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's why we have Alsatians rather than mm. German Shepherds, for example. Yeah. Because the Alsatian stems from the region of the Alsace in France. But, yeah, it's it's like, oh, I don't know, it's, it's just such an odd... It's just such an odd one, do you know what I mean? There's no... You could understand why when they did, they had the Christmas football match. In 1914. Because as much as they put out all the propaganda about Germans and the Bosch and everything else, you can imagine The British that... soldier, the average British Tommy, no disrespect, didn't believe... Well, there is no disrespect at all, but the, the average British Tommy was more clued up than anything mm. else. And every piece of government-issued information that was handed out to British Tommies was generally known as an eye wipe. Yeah. Yeah. Because it ended up in one place. Yes. The latrine pit. Free toilet paper. Paper. What we do with the conservative pamphlets? I'm afraid we do to some degree. Yes. No, they go in the fire pit. Yes, they do. I would, I would we, dare we, block we... up the pressure sewage system of our country. I wouldn't want to put near my rectum either. Well, it'd only go out to sea at the moment anyway. It'd be bobbing down the trend. But yeah, um, but then you've got to think of the Germans went to war initially with 5 million men mm. and by the time the Germans had finished they'd marched close to 12 million men through the gates of Helen back and they lost something like 2 to 3 million men in the process yeah I think we should the also, French did the same we should also raise the point of tanks yes well, the, tanks birth, the, birth, the birth of Le Panzerkampfwagen the kind of little um, parallelogram parallelogram rhomboidal is the word you're looking for it's a rhomboidal I like, I like parallelograms though <laughs> but they're not parallelograms they're rhomboidal rhomboids so, yes they are rhomboids yes but the rhomboidal tank Rhomboid. isn't the only tank dear that is more a lack of your education on armoured warfare that Ooh, I've neglected no that I've neglected <laughs> it's your failing it is my failing because <laughs> the British had two tanks in the First World War we have the classic rhomboidal battlefield tank that you yeah. see and we also had something called the Whippet right which was a fast tank right eight miles an hour it was a fast tank and the Whippet was to replace the cavalry and was your breakthrough tank right so your rhomboidal tanks make the hole and the Whippets are meant to exploit the hole and go for broke because yeah. they're covered in machine guns. Because the whole thing was because there was so much fucking barbed wire and stuff, wasn't it? That at least the tanks could kind of they get... They just rolled yeah, over it. Yeah, could just get over it. But the first... They're first used late in 1916 on the song. Yeah, and then they get stuck and don't really... Do a great deal. Yeah. Then their first real effective use is in 1917. Mm. Uh, this is why the Royal Tank Regiment, by the way, their uh, regimental badge is um, brown, red and green. Because it's through the mud and the blood to yeah. the green fields beyond, which is a common thing yeah, anyway yeah, yeah. for World War One. But the tank regiment's first glorified... I say glorified, but their first effective use and how we're meant... To, and how the future of warfare was going to happen 
was at a place called Cambrai. In 1917. Yeah. And 486 tanks. Wow. Assault the village of Cambrai on a 20 mile front. Yeah. So that's 486 tanks. Supported by four divisions of infantry and two full battalions worth of artillery in a combined arms operation. They had aerial bombing support. And you saw the birth of the Blitzkrieg style of movement. Now, everyone accredits Blitzkrieg, and the Germans don't even call it Blitzkrieg. That's an actual British term, Mm. uh, coined by the newspapers. No. Blitzkrieg isn't even mentioned by the Germans. Rommel and co. didn't even invent Blitzkrieg. When the Germans in World War II commenced their operations, to some degree, they weren't expecting it to work. They were just taking a gamble, and it worked. I'm not saying that they weren't completely... Yeah, But yeah, to yeah, some yeah. degree, even the Germans were shocked at how fast, in World War Two the tactics worked. In World War One, it's really the British, and I say the British, it's really Australians and New Zealanders and Canadians who are now in divisional strength, dictating to Hague how wars are to be fought. Oh, see, here's something. Was Haig actually a massive dickhead? Because I am in the dickhead camp for him. The problem is there is a lot of propaganda around World War One, post-World War One, Yeah. And one of the biggest ones is lions led by donkeys. Yeah. And that's just not true. Right. It's not true in any way, shape or form. What is true is that the battlefield developments changed that rapidly that senior command couldn't keep up and the idea that they're 35 miles behind the lines isn't even true Mm. okay that's the field marshal on the ground your divisional generals are in the front lines yeah there are more generals killed in the first as a percentage yeah right when you look at the percentages down if you're looking purely at the numbers yeah your average squaddy is killed. But if you look at the percentages in terms of their ranks, 75% of all senior officers are killed in the First World War. Mm. Compared to the 15% of all So had he been doing like the Crimea or like the Boer no, War or anything like no, that before? We'd already learnt things from the Boer War yeah, and we were yeah. implementing that in British drill and training. Yeah. What it was was the British government, I'm not saying it was conservative, but as in it had a conservative mindset about yeah, war yeah, yeah. and didn't want to spend money to modernise. Yeah. So back then, we would have two Vickers machine guns to one battalion, hmm. right? The Germans had 12 Maxim guns to a single battalion because they were working it that the machine gun platoon of, well... The machine gun company was the fifth company within, like, a battalion organisation. Yeah. And then the Germans would have four, but uh, three battalions to the regiment. So there were 36 Maxim guns in a German regiment at the outbreak of World War One. The British, still working on the old regimental system of parent battalion and depot battalion, were sending out six, eight hundred men with two machine guns. The Germans were deploying 4,000 men and 36 machine guns at the same time. And you can see how 
the disparaging. But that's because the Germans had got into the mindset that the machine gun could replace infantry. And they were right. Yeah. So they were very much on board with water-jacketed, belt-fed machine guns to do the work, and the infantry were just there to dig in and hold the ground. The Germans had already started to think, and this is the thing with Prussia, they were all about the military thinking and everything else. The British were still, in effect, a gendarmerie for a colonial warfare. They weren't set up for industrialised warfare. Yeah. They were set up for waves and waves and blokes in grass skirts armed with spears and shields charging at you. Which is why, though, on the flip side of it, the British Army did tend to have better, shall we say, or higher capability when it came to rifle use. Yeah. Because we put... We didn't put more emphasis on than any other nation, but we put slightly stricter requirements to what warranted your target zone and everything else. And we still called it musketry in a lot of the manuals as well that were being used to train troops up to 1914. And then with the outbreak of the war and how things changed, those manuals changed. So he was. So it's not like he got like an old-fashioned idea of it, or was it, he was just kind of a bit shafted. The oldest serving officer in the British Army at the outbreak of the war was a chap called Ian Hamilton. And Rupert Murdoch's dad is the reason for Ian Hamilton losing everything. Ian Hamilton was the most decorated British soldier to date. He had fought in... He had been in the Boer Wars, he had fought in the Zulu Wars, he had fought in the Mardis defences. Right. Haig was a relatively newcomer. Okay. Yeah. In terms of... Haig was still old school, but Haig hadn't fought in a lot of the big colonial things like Ian Hamilton had. Yeah. And a chap called um, Hunter Weston, who was known as Bunny. <laughs> Uh, yes, but he was known as Bunny the Butcher oh. because he really was. <laughs> that was the journey. Yeah, he was known as Bunny, and the troops added the added the shall we say the moniker the Butcher to his name because Hunter Weston really was the iconic "I will clog, clog the enemy's guns up with my dead" yeah. kind of attitude. He was old school British cavalry officer, and I do mean old school British cavalry officer put into a war he did not understand, mm. and he was at Gallipoli. And it's because of Hunter Weston that really Gallipoli went a bit fucking Pete Tong for the British there. Yeah. The Australian and New Zealanders, the Anzacs, they were up on uh, Saribar and Pine Ridge and everything. Mm. And Sula Bay was the British and the French in the lower part of the Dardanelles. And that was commanded by Hunter Weston. Hunter Weston, cavalry officer. Hunter Weston, the fucking moron. Yeah. Hunter Weston didn't get any real repercussions from his actions at Gallipoli in 1915. Right. Because it all got blamed on Ian Hamilton, Sir Ian Hamilton, Lord Ian Hamilton, who had something like 12 to 14 decorated military awards to it. He was the most decorated military officer at the time in the British Army. Right. And Rupert Murdoch's dad, in 1915, had him stripped of pretty much every rights and everything he had because of the Gallipoli campaign, okay, Mm. and then almost collapsed the British government of the time because of it. Wow. Which is why, not to be rude, I would happily see the Murdoch family burn in hell because they are the plague on this world that have all the issues. They've not helped. Yeah. 
And it all stems from James Murdoch, who was Murdoch's, Rupert Murdoch's father. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Who caused all of these issues in 1915. Well, it's nice to know it runs in the family. Oh, it certainly does run in the family. And the Murdochs just need to get in the sea. Um, but yeah. That's like Wolverine. It's like, I'm, I'm the best at what I do and what I do isn't very nice. Yeah. Hashtag the Murdochs. Yeah. And the problem is, is um, Ian Hampton, he, he was a wonderful man. I've got a book on him upstairs hmm. because he's literally one of those officers. So why did they pick on him? Was was he was Murdoch he was in friends with the other one then? No, Murdoch didn't bother to do any digging. So he tarred the senior most officer in command of the whole operation right, okay. as being the one culpable. Yeah. Even though Hamilton couldn't go on land because the risk of him getting killed yeah. was that high. I know. It's just when you said that, I was imagining the Davy Jones thing of him like stood in a bucket of seawater. <laughs> Okay. He was five miles off the coast of the Dardanelles, in yep. between the two sites of Sula Bay and Thing. Yeah. He had speed launchers with messengers constantly coming to him, keeping him updated. He was planning meticulous operations, combining X, Y, and Z. And to some degree, it's Churchill we can blame for uh, the Gallipoli yeah, incident. He was, yeah, he was the one who pushed that. to try and knock Turkey out the war early, and he wasn't wrong in some respects, Churchill. But the government at the time were more concerned with the Western Front and didn't supply the Gallipoli campaign and then the Mesopotamia campaigns yeah. with the right level of equipment at times because they considered it a second front. Well, this is the thing. You kind of only, even in films, even in like media and it's studying all it, it's warfare. all about Europe. Like the, the kind of like France and Belgium. We were fighting in Africa. We were fighting in the Middle East because of Iran, which was ours. And the oil fields. Yeah, yeah. That's Mesopotamia. Because we still called it Mesopotamia back then. We only It only kind of started to modernise in the 20s and 30s in terms of named countries. Back then, we still called it Mesopotamia. The British forces out there were called the MEF, the Mesopotamia Expeditionary Force. Yeah. We tried Gallipoli. We were even fighting in Hong Kong and Singapore. Oh, my God. Against, I don't know, we're just <laughs> fighting in Hong Kong and Singapore. We're fighting each other. <laughs> well, we were fighting someone. I, yeah, did, yeah. I think it was Germans. Yeah. Who had got small territories mm. out there um, that after the war they lost because we claimed them. But yeah, no, France was fighting wars. There were Vietnamese what? in the Western Front because oh, it's because colonial power of France. Okay. There were Chinese fighting in um, the Western Front because of America. Oh, of course. Because of they, Chinese immigration. They did, they, they did actually join in for a bit right at the end, didn't they? What, China as a nation? No, America. Yeah, 1917 they joined in. <sighs> True to form. Uh, that was General Pershing and Sherman, by the way. That's mm. Pershing and Sherman, which is where their World War Two tanks get the names from. But those guys were very much... Because is that when we got the massive debt to America, or is that World War Two? World War Two, yeah. which we finally paid off in 2003. Oh, God. Yeah, but that's because they kept putting inflation on it and then put in... Well, yeah, talk, talk to Africa yeah. about being in debt to large countries. Yeah. Yes, indeed. But yeah, no, so... When you look at the whole First World War, it is an industrialised bloodbath that could have not happened if the rest of Europe had calmed down a bit and yeah. just gone, look. Sort it out. He's been shot. We get it. 
that doesn't mean you in theory have to declare war on one small country because of an assassin because that assassin doesn't speak for your country well no this is the thing but the Austro-Hungarians were hungry for aggressional power because they'd been overshadowed by their big brothers Prussia for mm. so long now because in 1866 the Austrians and the Prussians went to war with each other and the Prussians won. Wasn't it the thing that... Because we watched um, the Peter Jackson film. Oh, the... With all the... Yeah, the re- colorizations, yeah. And, oh, I can't recommend it enough. It's so good. Uh, when We Were Strong or whatever it is. I can't remember uh, the yeah, title. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really, really, really good. But I'm sure in that they say that like, the Prussians were like... People were more worried about running into them than, than they were about anybody else because yeah. they were just horrible or something. The Prussians if not, were. I've read that somewhere. No, no, you haven't. There is accounts where, because Prussia was still the 12 principalities mm. that made up Germany, you had Saxons and Bavarians and uh, Wutendorfers and, um, and Westphalias and Prussians. It's a quiet section of the line. And the Bavarian soldiers are leaving and they apologise to the Canadians opposite them. Yeah. And the Canadians go... Why is that? Well, we're being pla- replaced by Prussians. Yeah. And they are not nice people. Yeah. And even the Bavarians are like, the Prussians are not nice people. And it's actually where that stereotypical arrogant German personification stems from. Is actually because of the militarised nature of the Prussian people yeah. as a principality. And you've got to remember, Prussia was cut in two because of Poland. Yeah, yeah. Because you had Eastern Prussia and Western Prussia. And it's in the 19th century that the Prussians go on the warpath using cunning uh, courtesy of von Ribbentrop and Bismarck and everything and they flip it every time to make everyone else look like the aggressors while they are defending themselves but in doing so they've planned and trained and they basically they lure people to declare war on them and then smash them to pieces and when they smash them to pieces they then get to the the diplomacy level of the war's over, they sit down to the conference table and they carve out ridiculously strict rules to all these European powers. And it does, to some degree, cause resentment, which is where the animosity between the French and the Germans actually stems from, is because the French were treated so badly by von Bismarck in the post-1870 Franco-Prussian War, they cut out a huge territory, which is the Alsace-Lorraine region, right, which is where Stuttgart is, which is why Stuttgart has a German name that speaks French. Right. Because Stuttgart is in the Alsace-Lorraine region, right. okay, which is in France, but it didn't used to be. Oh. It used to be in Germany. Mm. And then at the end of World War Two, well, at the end of World War One, that region gets given back to France, because France loses it at the end of the Franco-Prussian War. Yeah. Germany invades in 1914 and takes it over. They invade and roll over it. Mm. This is why you get the Battle of Verdun. Because that's in that region. Sedan, it's the Sedan and the Verdun fortresses and stuff. That's the Alsace-Lorraine region. That part is they're refighting the Franco-Prussian War all over again. Because that's exactly where the Franco-Prussian War happened. And when Germany invade, that's where Joffre who is the French senior commander, he decides 
he's going to refight the Franco-Prussian War because he was a young officer when it happened. He was 20-odd when that war happened because it's only in 1870. He was a 20-year-old. Well, 40 years later where he's in senior command and he's 60-odd, it's like he'd seen and he was like, I'm going to get back at Germany. And it's like, dude, you waste two million men almost in a pointless conflict. Yep. For your own pride. Yeah. I mean, seriously, a lot of the First World War comes down to senior officers. Yeah. And I don't mean like your battalion and regimental command. I'm talking GHQ level. Oh, yeah, it was commander in chief. The kind of old sort of like, like you see in Sharp where they're like, oh, I'm going to make a name for myself by leading this victory and being like this. And it's like. Yeah. Yeah, it's not you really doing it though, is it? No. And bearing in mind, France went into the war in their uniforms that dated from the 1870s. Oh, God, yeah. That bright was red super, trousers. Super bright. Bright red kepis and a dark blue jacket. I mean, at least we didn't do that. At least we'd updated a bit. Yeah, but they were told that they weren't technically allowed to shoot. They had to charge with the bayonet oh, constantly. Because Esprit de la haine and the fact that vive la France. It's like fucking Ugh. French officers who were still living in a world of the heritage of Napoleon I. Yeah. I think this is the thing. It's like it's... To me, it was one of the, the, the sort of first things where you get the full-on kind of, like, propaganda thing of, like, you know, the posters of, of basically blackmailing men into going to war and, like, them, them sort of, like, whipping up... Frenzy, women and other yeah. people into like handing out white feathers to people that and, like, refuse to because yeah. they're conscientious objectors yeah bear in mind there is something for the british army called the number one punishment yeah which is tied to a post and shot yeah 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 that was issued due to cowardice at times yeah which wasn't cowardice it was ptsd well yeah but it wasn't recognized well no because that wasn't a thing you'd had shell and then shot, in 1919 but... Yeah, but even shell shock wasn't recognised oh, during no. the First World this War. This is the problem. Then in 1919, the medical profession had this swathe of damaged individuals who'd been fighting in an industrialised, mechanised war come back to Britain mm. and went, oh God. And then they realised that quite a few people had been shot from suffering from these things while on the battlefield. Mm. At which point, GHQ shot themselves. Because they realised they'd basically been committing murder. Well, yeah. Of their own troops. But it's just like, it, you just think it like completely wiped out like the male population of a certain age, of like entire places. It did and it didn't. This is the problem. No, but it impacted it the population. Did. It did, but it, it did impact the population. You're not wrong. But to some degree, you look at the population numbers and the levels and how many men truly died. It wasn't always that a whole generation was missing. It was more know, the fact it like impacted. It's not like a snap kind yeah. of thing. But like, and you, it's not like there were no men at all. But it's the fact that like it traumatized. There, there was a load that were dead. Yeah. There's a load that had got bits blown off them. Yes. And all had got severe mental, mental health, health issues, issues. Yes. that nobody really understood. No, correct. And that's, that's what I'm saying. They're, 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 it's always simplified of a missing generation 
as if everyone had died of that and that's not the reality of it the reality is much more complex and terrifying to behold and people just didn't learn and i know it sounds awful but but when we go into world war ii for example and people always blame Chamberlain for appeasement and everything else. That's because those men had lived through the First World well, War. Yeah, they, did, they didn't. Want... They didn't want a repeat of something they had had to fight and live through. Chamberlain had been at the Somme. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's like like uh, Tolkien. You know, nearly got his got himself blown to bits on various occasions. Because like, he was at the Somme. Well, and this, this is the thing. It was the, Ypres and other things. It was the scale of like if you hadn't been there yourself, you didn't you, understand. Well, you would have you would have known somebody that had, or yeah. you would have been related to somebody that had yeah. died, or like it would have been something that impacted everybody. It affected the whole in country in some way. Like yeah. It, they would have, like you said, it wasn't that far in the future from the first one. First of all, ends in 1918. Because you've got people that serve in both. Uh, yes, there are people who serve in both. Some of them, there's British regulars who are 18 in the First World War when it starts. By the time they've survived and finished, they're 22. Mm. By the time the Second World War starts, they're senior NCOs and they're in their 40s. They're only in their 40s. And then yeah. they fight through the whole Second World War and they come out of it and they fought through two great wars. See, I've got, I've got a story and it might be complete bullshit because I've never researched it, but it was what I was told on this coach trip. Yeah. So we went round and we went to like lots of the, the like allies, whatever it is, um, uh, grave sites. And uh, it's the, all like the, lots, the of big, lots of big white, um, crosses. you know, white crosses, white memorials, everything else. And then we got taken to this German graveyard and it was the creepiest place I've ever been. It, like, it was so creepy and dark and you could tell that nobody really wanted this to be here. And then they got this these statues as part of the memorial that were also exceedingly creepy and dark and odd. And then the woman who was doing the tour things, I'm sure there was this woman, and she said that, um, she said that like this is the main german war grave but they just basically kind of piled them all in because obviously they didn't identify them they just kind of chucked them all in and she said oh do you see the farmhouse over there we were like yeah and she said so basically this story is that there's this uh, farmhouse there's a woman that lives there these german soldiers come and they've like one of them's nearly dying and she patches them up looks after them gives them some food they go away like 1930 something this car rolls up to the um to the farmhouse yeah very nice car and she thinks like oh fuck what's this yeah um somebody comes up and says are you so and so yeah and she's like yeah hitler steps out the car and says thank you very much for um helping me out because i was like really badly injured and then he goes and stands in front of the war memorial thing and basically gives some sort of political thing about kicking off something to do with World War Two. Wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if it's bullshit, but it's a well, story that stuck Hitler, with Hitler, me. The problem is, Hitler was an Austrian corporal. He was a paper hanger. He was a painter. Yeah. He did fight in the First World War. He was wounded in the First yeah. World War. But he was never more than a corporal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There is one of... Uh, I think it's von Rundstadt, who is a German senior 
officer in World War Two, who refers to him as the jumped up corporal from Austria. <laughs> but in German, it sounds much more yeah, offensive well, and so much nicer do. than like a British translation where it just becomes the jumped up corporal from yeah, Austria. Yeah, yeah. But that's German for you when they string whole things. But yeah, von Rundstadt, as much as he was in German high command, he had very little opinion of Hitler given Hitler was never anything past a corporal. Well, yeah. Not heard the story myself, but it probably could be true, or at least Hitler knew someone it's happened to, and he spun it. Well, I mean, I could understand him turning up at that memorial to to, to do something, because it, would, it was, like I said, from what I remember, it was basically, it was there under sufferance, they'd just kind of lumped everybody in yeah, one place and then stuck Yeah, because the French didn't want to put up war graves to the Germans. Yeah. They were made to by the British and the Americans. And the British turned round and went, you want our money to help rebuild your country, you're going to play nice. Yeah. Because the French, no disrespect, they they had an arrogance to them that we won this war. And now, because we won this war and we were treated so poorly by the Prussians in the Franco-Prussian War, we're going to create this treaty that... Because Britain didn't like the Versailles Treaty. They wanted it toned down because you've got to think the monarchy of Britain is friends and cousins to the monarchy of Germany. At which point, you're going to think the British are going to be like... The British government are not going to want to piss off their own monarch. Yeah. As much as our monarchy is constitutional, the monarch of the time was still like heavily respected by the British government and the Versailles Treaty is very much a French treaty against the Germans. The British wanted it toned down. Yeah. Because the British were like, they only went to war with you because of treaties and you're treating them like they were the aggressors. Yeah, they did. They got like a really bad... um... Like the Treaty of Versailles treated Germany so badly. Oh, there it is. I was trying to I was trying to find it. I'm sure it's this one. La- Langemark. Yes, the grave, grave ceremony. Yeah. Because but... I just remember it being super Yes, I was it's yes, I should have googled this before. Yes. Visit by Adolf Hitler June 1940. There we go. Which is after the fall of France, clearly. Yeah. Well, that's Cause nice. Cuz the statue's know. like super creepy. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, but that's German. Ah, but Oh, they're by Emil Krieger, dear. That's why um, Emil Krieger is very famous for... He's that German expressionist Weimar Republic crazy gothness that you get. You know, the beautiful, like, it's a monstrosity, but it's also really cool. Yeah, so basically it's it's, um, one of the three German collecting cemeteries. So they basically dug loads of people up and basically buried them all in this one place and then stuck one gravestone on it. Yeah. But it has not a nice vibe at all. It's really weird and spooky. Yeah, but that's because you think how many unquiet spirits there must be floating around that area because you've just dug their bodies up, dumped them into a giant pit and put one stone on. I remember it being on. really dark as well, but looking at the pictures, it didn't. It doesn't look like it is. No, that must have it been the could, vibe that It I could had. have just been like the fact that it's got creepy statues and it is just a giant grave pit that's yeah. not got a great deal to it. I'm glad I feel somewhat vindicated. I don't know about the woman, but, but I know about, like... The, I know that I'm not completely the, off the mark. No, you were, you were accurate, dear. Yeah. But, yeah... It's it's one of those things, but you've got to think, we have all this darkness surrounding World War One, and it creates World War Two. Mm. But then there's things like the Wipers Times. Yeah, but that's humanity, isn't it? But that's it? what I mean, that's the... Yeah. 
even though this is a horrific industrial war, you get things like the Wipers Times that then becomes the Kemil Times, that becomes yeah. the Somme Times, because the guy in question with the 12th Battalion of the Sherwood Foresters moves around because they're, they're a pioneer battalion, so they're yeah. sappers, so they build trenches more than anything else. Um, but they move around, of course. But yeah, I highly recommend people try and see the TV, the, the film, Wipers yes. Times. It used to be on quite a lot when it was on one of the streaming services. When it was, I think it was on BBC. Or I've on... never seen it before I met you, yeah. and then I've seen it about four times. But I like the Wipers Times because... It's very British. Yeah, yeah. but it also it doesn't detract from the horrors... No, I think a lot of the more recent ones don't. But then I think in some cases they, they go too far the other way. I think sometimes it's almost like... I feel like people feel like because at the time it was so jingoistic and so like... Um, what is it? It's, it's a great and right thing to die for oh, your country. Oh, what a lovely war. Pro patria more, something, something, something. I die like, for yeah. the fatherland. Yeah, no, no, there's, it's from... yeah as in pro patria more... Yeah, it's like there's no better thing than, than to die for your country or yeah. whatever it is. It was all that kind of stuff. And then afterwards, I think, when the people had got some space from it... And thought about and it. And had some generations past it, everybody's been like, oh, that was the right fucking horror show, wasn't it? And I feel like people have almost gone the other way with it now, where they're like, they're just literally, it's like bodies and bits of bodies strewn across the valley kind of thing. But mm. at the same time, I think the Peter Jackson film because it involves a lot of interviews with people that were actually there, mm. it talks about that, you know, you're just a person trying to live with this shit. I also highly recommend, the BBC still have them on there and they've never taken them down, mm. there are the Great War interviews. Yeah. It's 15 or something episodes. Each one's, I think, no more than half an hour. But they were done in the 60s. Yeah. And they are all veterans of the First World War. Yeah. Okay, so these are guys who are already in their 70s or mm. 80s in 1960. Okay. Yes. There's a couple of women in there as well, because they were nurses out on the yeah, Western yeah, Front. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and it's all World War One people. It's what Peter Jackson used within mm. We Shall Never Grow Old. That's I think he did it. a lot of stuff. From, that is that, is it? And he did it because his grandfather yes. was at Sari Bar. Yes. And was at... Um, because at the Weta Studio Museum in New Zealand, there is a 148 scale mm. assault on Chanuk Bar, which is part of the Gallipoli Up and Pine Ridge and everything, yeah. that was built by the Perry Twins, mm. uh, aka the yeah, Perry yeah, Miniatures, yeah, yeah. aka the Perry Twins. They built that for Peter Jackson. While they were doing the Lord of the Rings stuff for Games yeah, Workshop, yeah, yeah. they built, so they got to know him and they realised he's a massive military nutter. Yeah. As much as. It seems to be if you're a Tolkien file at times, <laughs> you tend to up being a military file. battles in, in Lord of the really Rings. So. But yeah, they built this beautiful diorama for him where his grandfather was part of the assault company at Lone Pine, up on Chinook Bar, yeah. at Gallipoli. And it's all 148 scale, but it's at the Weta Museum. Mm. He has it on display, this beautiful, huge diorama. It's about 200 148 scale miniatures. But he, but they also then did a load of individual sculpts for him as display yeah, pieces. Yeah. Oh, Peter Jackson's We Shall Never Grow Old. Wonderful piece of cinematography. It is, I think... Um... 
And it brings it home better than a lot of the new films. It does like, make... Like, it's because it's the actual thing and it's yeah. not got that... Because they slow the footage down. It's not got that weird kind of Jerky janky... Like, no. like you'd expect it to be like... Yeah, Like piano thing of people they like... They colourise it. They slow it down to modern viewings. Yeah. And it brings the humanity to it, it does. that it terrifies you. It shouldn't make such a difference just to see things in colour. But it really does. It really, really does. It'll probably be on again... It's, it's not on any of the streaming services at the no, moment. No, it'll probably be on again. I hope so, because it was on the BBC. It was, on the it was BBC. On BBC, wasn't it? It was, and I went to find it the other day because well, I've been meaning to watch it. it. We should probably buy it. Well, it's on Amazon for 7 49 at the no, moment. I'd buy it. Because it's one of my favourite pieces, and I wanted to watch it again. I want to watch because it Because we were getting to the armistice. So from a wargaming perspective, folks, World War One was a touchy subject 20 years ago or so. Mm. So when I was back, when I was 13, very few companies were making World War One miniatures. Yeah. And it wasn't really being done Why? in a big... Because there was still a generation alive that remembered it. Yeah, but there have been people... No, like... no, no. World War Two. Yeah. had a reason to it. Mm. In terms of the Nazi needed to be taken care of, right? World War One was a war that should never have happened and it was just mindless slaughter because of treaties. Yeah. There wasn't a reason to having the First World War. I know that sounds daft, but there wasn't a reason for the war. Yeah. It was... The killing of an entire generation in all these different countries that basically that's the dog there, folks. <laughs> He's just moved and... Whew, that is a very doggy smell. That's a doggy fart. That that's is a very I... doggy smell, yes. Thanks, thanks Mr. Puppet. Thank you, uh, it's because we've put his straight jacket yeah, we've on. Yeah, we compressed him. <laughs> so it's a... <laughs> but if you go... So there were companies making World War One miniatures, but in terms of the rule sets for World War One. Like, if you get what I mean. Yeah. There weren't that many out there. There still aren't that many out there. A, because the game, or should I say, the history as it was taught 20 years ago. Yeah. So we're talking, what, 2000? 20 years ago? Christ, I feel old now. But yeah, three was still all about massive troops, western front, over the top, blah, 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 machine guns doing everything. It was all... Very much yeah. not quite understood. Yeah. And the mindset in the wargaming community, it was like, if you're going to do World War One, it's a very boring game to do. Yeah. Because you're just putting men on the field, they die. Men up on the field, they die. Because that's all you were ever taught at school. Then yeah. wargaming producers, people like the Two Fat Lardies, uh, Chris Peer, a few others, had started to do their research. And they realised that there is a hell of a lot more to the First World War than just men go up over the top of a trench and get slaughtered. Yes. There's a whole big... I think this is one of the things about World War One, like, is that uh, there's a lot of focuses in certain areas, but like I said, it did affect everybody. Yeah. Like, whatever aspect you want to approach it from, you'll find something in it. Well, if it's about women, if it's about animals, if it's about, like you said, like, different parts of Europe, about yeah. not parts of Europe, yeah. like... It did. It uh, it's obviously a world war, duh. But like, it did generally affect the everything. whole world, yeah, in a way that people don't often feel like it does because everyone gets focused on yeah. the Western Front. I think as well, like it's it's weird, even with World War Two, because like I think when we were growing up, obviously there's still lots and lots of people around that have been in World War Two, or well, yeah, they or were children. 
Yeah. They were ch- well. There are no World War One types well, no, left now, anymore. But, uh, Harry Patch was the but last you know, one. But you know what I mean. But yeah, there were people who. And it kind of it, there was still kind of a link there. It didn't yeah. feel so far away. But my kids. Yeah, it's going to be nothing to them. No, it's because there'll be, be no. May ve- as well be Agincourt as yeah. far as they're concerned. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is the problem. It's like someone, one of the one of my friends, as it were, who's a teacher, was on mm. about they were doing uh, secondary school and someone wrote it in the late 1900s. Yeah, but it's true. And I was like... There's, there's kids that have never known a date that's not had a two in, at the start of no. it. No. Which is terrifying. It <laughs> is. Yeah, it is. But I also think because the way technology's gone, mm. we're losing an element of considering time. Yeah. Because to me, 1850 isn't actually that long ago. It's not, no. 1850, to me, is only... 170 years ago. Yeah. That's yeah. only four generations. Mm. My grandfather was born in 1938. Yeah. He lived through World War Two. He was literally born the year before it started. Yeah, yeah. And by 1948, he was 10 when rationing ended. Yeah. Okay. So he'd grown up not knowing anything but the Second World War, in effect. Yeah. To start with. So, <laughs> it's like... And my grandmother, my late grandmother, um, Grandma Marcia, she was also born in 1938. Mm. And in 1941, at the age of three, her dad was dead. Oh, yeah. So she went through her entire life Mm. without a father. Yeah. Completely. um, There is a memorial to my late great-grandfather, John Tyers, at St Mary's Church, because he was an auxiliary firefighter, but he was a dispatch rider. Yeah. Um, and he actually died in a road traffic accident in 1940, 1941. But this is the thing. For me, I knew my great-grandparents. Yeah. I knew my great-grandma Mary. I knew my great-grandma Elsie. Yeah. My family history is so tied up. But Phoebe and Henry haven't got a clue. No. no. Neither of Logan and Tyler. Neither of, like, Felix. Well, Felix slightly more because he is 17. Yeah. But even he's, like... It's not this, it's just like, it's just gone. Yeah. It's so weird. It's very weird. Yeah. And I sit here and try and talk history to the kids, and particularly something like this, where the First World War is, it had a huge impact on generations. Yeah. And yet, it's gone. It literally could have, it literally could have been 2,000 years ago. To them. For for the relevance of like... And the actual impact it has on society. Yeah. I know it's daft, isn't it? But this is this is the thing that I think people are fighting with, with the kind of, like, rising people thinking, like, oh, Hitler's a bit of a laugh, if you know what I mean. Do you know, you know what I mean? Like, the generation that are kind of coming up and that are about at the moment are that far almost removed from it, that it's kind of like they don't making see a the joke yeah. about... I don't know. It's it's, it's almost like it's, it's only taken a couple of generations to completely... But that's technology. Yeah. It is technology. I mean, when you think technologically speaking, even the jump from what was around in World War One to now is crazy. In the space of 100 years, we went from the Titanic to being on the moon. Yeah, it's true. At which point... And a lot of that was driven by World War One and World War II. Two, yes. <laughs> uh, mostly uh, for the going to the moon part, Nazi scientists. <laughs> It's always the meme from um, the um, it's the Umbrella Academy thing yes, where you've got well, the two yeah. passing cars. Jewish scientists working at NASA, Nazi scientists working at NASA. It's like, oh no. But yeah, so from wargaming, as I was saying, it was one of those things of it was always just seen as a dull, boring thing. 
And that wasn't people trying to dismiss it as it wasn't important, but it was just seen as not being... Because people hadn't researched it properly. Because the archaeology wasn't there. In the late 90s and the 2000s, there was a ton of work done on the World War I front, on the Western Front and in other parts of the world. And then in the mid-2000s, that information was released and suddenly wargaming took this huge leap. Mm. And now you look at it, we're getting plastic kits. Yeah. And you like your French, don't oh, you? Oh, I love my World War One French. I think it's because the French are always seen as like... I think just people don't realise how many men there were for the yeah. French army. Because it very much becomes this Anglophile, yeah. like this Anglo-Germanic war almost in Britain. And we seem to forget that 12 million Frenchmen fought in the First World yeah, War. Yeah, but we always like to forget that because we have this kind of like thing where we don't like the French. I know. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, we, we fought two world wars. <laughs> As their allies, yeah. And, like, the French were always respecters of military power throughout history. And it's like, why do we get... And it's all just because of Edward III. Mm. Bloody St George Nutter. <laughs> There's not a great deal to say apart from lest we forget, as we say. Yeah, read some World War One poetry. Watch that documentary. I'm it's emotional. Very good. I always do around World War One. I. I get very emotional about World War One. I. I think because it's a very emotional war. Yeah, I it think. is. It really is. It's the nihilism. Yes. I think of just like what. what and the problem what is the, the troops. We doing here. <laughs> and this is the problem. The troops in the ground knew. It was a futile and pointless oh, yeah. war. And it was just, we've just got to see Some, some of the songs, five. some of the songs when you actually think mm. about like, so they'll take songs and they change the lyrics. And when you listen to some of the lyrics, you're like, ooh, yeah. oh dear. But no, definitely watch the Peter Jackson documentary. It's very, very good. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes. Watch the Wipers Times. Yes, watch Wipers Times. And have a look in your own history because there's going to be somebody in your past that had some link to it because oh, you can't I, escape I, I, it. You're at this point, I know mine. Well, I know yours and I know mine to some respects because yeah. when we went to the um, war cemetery, yeah. there was uh, one of my relations that I just never found, yeah. Arthur. Yeah. Um, and you look at the picture of him and he's like a kid. Um, anyway, yeah, have a look in your past, think about those people and what a shit show it was. Yeah. And learn something. Yes. And yes. And, and, and to some degree, please don't... There's a thing with a lot of modern generations get offended by X, Y and Z nowadays for one reason or another when it comes to World War One, And I just... I don't be disrespectful. Just think about the human beings that were involved in it. Yeah. And there but for the grace of a couple of, you know, generations. That could have been you. Yeah. Yeah, it could. Yeah. And it still could be, folks. Yes, it still could be. So, really... But, um... Thanks for listening. Yes. Uh, I will uh, speak to you all again soon. Yes, so and we'll let us know if there's anything else you'd like to know about. Indeed, yes. Right. Good night all.